and we are going to take a, uh, we're not going to be in Proverbs today, <laughs> so that's a uh, curveball for you. Uh, we're going to do an extension of something we talked about this morning, uh, and typically when we do this, actually it's not typical, uh, commonly when we do this, it's a something that was brought uh, or through my reading uh, throughout the week in preparation for the sermon, there was something that was just very, very good, but there was no way you could do it justice in a simple side treatment in a sermon. So that's why we have this second hour. We typically do the book of Proverbs, but if we would like to build or expand upon something from the morning sermon, then we reserve the right uh, to do so as we deem it uh, prudent. And typically these are uh, ideas or concepts that were introduced through some study and reading that was going, uh, taking place in my study for the sermon. And right now, most commonly, that's coming from John Owen. So I'm not plagiarizing because I'm telling you it's coming from John Owen. So that's the opposite of plagiarism. I'm giving credit to the source material. But it is an expansion upon those things. And really what we want to talk about uh, this afternoon is the concept of faith working through love. The connection between faith and salvation and love in the Christian life and why love is so important in the church, in the body of Christ, such an important fruit of the Spirit that we need to be looking for uh, in terms of evidence of our salvation and in terms of our relationship to one another. The way that we relate to one another must be built upon and based upon love, right? We must love one another. And why this virtue is the preeminent virtue of the Christian life, right? This is what it means to live as Christ. It is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So why is it that love is so, so important and given such a place of preeminence in the Christian life and in the way that we live and relate to one another and how it is that we must cultivate uh, love for God and love for each other within the body of Christ? And just as we are so jealous for our doctrine, for the truth, and rightfully so, we should be, we must guard the doctrine and the truth that has been delivered to the church from anything that would seek to corrupt it or to influence us that would turn us away from that, right? And that is good and right in terms of our doctrine and our faith and what we believe, but also in terms of our practice, we must guard the love of the saints, the love of the brethren, the love that exists within the body of Christ. And we can know, right, if all of the prophets can be summarized in these two commandments, right? Isn't this what Jesus says? All the law and all the prophets can be summarized in two commandments, to love God with all the heart, soul, might, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And as we read this morning from Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, there the apostle says, the whole law is summarized in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Not that he's saying there's no responsibility to God, but he knows and understands that true love of neighbor will include love for God, right? Will include this love for God. And in terms of the way we manifest our love for God in this life, it is seen in the body of Christ, in the love that we have for one another. Our love for God is seen in our love and devotion to his word and in our love and devotion to his body, to the body of Christ in the love that we have to one another. Well, if this is the Christian life, if love is such an important part of our existence together, right? And what it means to be a child of God and a Christian, where is Satan going to attack us? 
He's going to attack us on this issue, right, in this area. We will face many temptations, many things that will seek to undermine and thwart and upset, unsettle the love that we have for one another, right? He will attack us in terms of our doctrine, in terms of what we believe, so as to unsettle the church, so that we're blown to and fro by various winds of doctrine, but also in the way that we relate to one another, right, in the love, because if he can sow disunity, disharmony, right, contentions, these types of things within the church, then the church itself, even if the doctrine is pure, the practice and the relationship between the people is going to be so sour and disgusting that it'll, it'll be like we're a bunch of hypocrites. And the world will see that and will mock and ridicule us even if we have pristine doctrine. So we ought to have pristine doctrine, right? We must contend for that, but also we need to have love for one another, and we need to cultivate this and guard it, guard it with our life so that nothing is creeping in that is keeping us or thwarting us from showing the love and affection that we are obligated to show to one another in Christ, right? So this is a very important issue, and so we're going to speak on that topic uh, a little more, okay? by way of uh, six points, okay? Point number one, why love is so important. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit, listed in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This is not accidental. It is intentional. It is intentional that the first fruit of the Spirit mentioned is love, is love. And many of these other fruits of the Spirit flow out of love. And when we read 1 Corinthians 13, and we will in a little bit, many of the attributes there that describe love, the fruits of love, are the same fruits of the Spirit that are mentioned here alongside of love, like patience and kindness and tenderness and those types of things. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Here, again, the fruit of the Spirit. By fruit of the Spirit, we understand and recognize that these are fruits that are produced in men by the Spirit of God. These fruits are not natural to men. Men do not have the ability in their natural capacity to produce any of these fruits, but all of these must be implanted in the man by the Spirit of Christ. Love is a gift or a grace of the Spirit produced within the children of God, a grace that God bestows graciously upon us, just as it is with faith, with repentance, with perseverance, with obedience, all of these are graces of the Christian life. They are gifts that God graciously bestows upon his children. Well, one of those gifts or one of the graces that God produces in his children is the gift of love. All of them are a result of the work of God within us, the result of the fruit of the Spirit. And this is why we must make a distinction between natural love or carnal love and spiritual love, spiritual love. There is natural affection that is implanted in human nature. 
right? Even Gentiles love those who love them. Even Gentiles, fathers and mothers, have love for their children, and they do good things for their children. They want what's best for them. They care for them. They provide for them. They do those kinds of things, right? Even in a society, there may be a natural love for our fellow countrymen so that we have an interest in them and we do certain things. We act in a certain way toward them for their good and for their benefit. So there is a love that is implanted in our human nature, right? That is a part of what it means to be men and women and and humankind. Now, because of sin, this is corrupted. And because of sin, it can be extinguished so that what is natural and what should be there is completely uprooted and uplanted, such as Cain and Abel, right? It should be natural, right? Even nature should teach Cain to love his brother and not to murder him and to kill him. You don't have to have the Spirit of God within you to know this and even to act upon that in at least a temporal and an outward way. So there are natural affections. Also, there can be carnal affections. These are affections that have been corrupted and polluted by our flesh and our own sinful nature. Such was the case with Amnon and the love that he had for Tamar. Though it calls it love, it says that he loved her, his love was a carnal affection, a sinful affection that was within him that roused him to act in this very hateful way toward her when he took her and he raped her. There it is fleshly, it is evil, it is sinful in the way that it manifests itself. So whether natural or whether carnal, both of these kinds of affections exist within sinful men and are excited by various objects, relationships, occasions, interests. People will act upon these things and do various things, at least even outwardly, have certain affections and emotions toward those that they have some common interest in, right? Or some uh, affection for. But the love that we're talking about here that exists in the body of Christ, this is a spiritual love that is the result of the spirit of Christ within us. It is foreign to man in his natural sinful state, just as righteousness is foreign to man, right? According to Romans chapter 3, 9 to 20, none is righteous, no, not one. In our natural state, righteousness is completely foreign to us. We have no righteousness in our sinful state, but instead we are completely and wholly unrighteous. Well, just as righteousness is foreign to us, so also is spiritual love, true love for God and the saints. It does not root in us, it has no root or bearing within us until it is implanted by the Spirit of Christ. Only the Spirit of God can produce this love within the saints. And this is the principal part of our renewal into the image of God. It is a renewal unto love, love of God and love of the brethren. And this is what we should be pursuing in regards to our sanctification, right? Making sure that we're loving God and that we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. And in terms of our neighbors, we should do good to all men, but especially to who? Those of the household of faith, those who belong to the body of Christ. And that would be true of all of the body of Christ, whether it's our local congregation or the congregation that exists outside of us. But in terms of practicality, where will that most commonly be exercised? It's going to be here amongst one another. 
in our relationships, in our daily and our weekly interactions with one another, we are to love each other, do good to all men as we have occasion, but especially have a special regard for those who are of the household of faith. And that is toward one another. First John chapter 4. Right, and how can we practice the Christian life apart from the body of Christ? It's impossible to do, right? So anyone who is seeking to exist as a Christian outside of the body of Christ, it's, not a, it's, it's a contradiction. It's not a possibility. Now, if someone is stranded on an island by themselves, okay, that's a whole different scenario. Then he has obligations and responsibilities to God, but even there he can still pray, for those saints that he knows in other parts of the world. He still has an obligation to love them. But how many of us are stranded on a desert island? None of us are, right? We all are living right here in bustling Oklahoma. So we have the ability to meet together, to commune together, and to exercise mutual love and care for one another. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Right, everyone who loves is born of God. Now, it is not our love that causes us to be born of God, but it is the fact that we are born of God that causes us to love. And if a person is not born of God, then he does not love. He doesn't have this love for the saints that exist in the body of Christ. So this love is a fruit of the Spirit that must be produced in us, and it is by no accident mentioned as the first fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, because in reality, all of these other fruits could be summarized in love as well. Number two, love is an effect of faith. Faith and love are inseparable, right? Faith and love always go hand in hand. Just as we mentioned earlier, faith without works is dead. Well, faith without love is dead, right? If our faith is not producing within us true love for the brethren, then it is not living, active true faith. It is not sincere saving faith, but it is a dead faith. Because how can true faith in Christ not produce the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of love in the saints. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. Galatians 5 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. What matters is not your circumcision or your uncircumcision, not that you are Jew or Gentile. Does that have any bearing on one standing before God? Absolutely not. What matters is faith. And what kind of faith? Faith working through love. A faith that manifests itself in acts of love, deeds of love, love of God and love of neighbor. Just as faith without works is dead, so we can say faith without love is a dead faith. Impossible that one would have true saving faith in Christ, yet have no love for God and no love for the saints. It derives immediately from faith, right? Love comes from faith as our faith is beholding the object of our faith, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the more firm, the more sincere, the more stable and active our faith in Christ is, then the more abundant will be our love for the saints. Faith is the life or the quickening, the invigorating principle 
of love. So as we grow in faith, what will we simultaneously grow in? We will be growing in our love for the saints. Now, this is where many people have a great danger, right? a great danger, because in many cases, we equate growing in knowledge to growing in faith. So that if we're increasing in our knowledge and understanding of doctrine, now, is it good to increase in our knowledge and understanding of Scripture and of sound doctrine? Of course it is. But if it is bare knowledge, then it's not increasing our faith, right? The point of growing in knowledge is that we might grow in faith so that our faith might be strengthened, so that it may increase. But there is a type of knowledge that grows in the understanding of certain concepts and truths, but it is not manifesting itself by a growth in faith, and it does not lead to a growth in love. So if our pursuit of knowledge and understanding is not leading to a growth in faith and not leading to a growth in love, then we're not learning correctly, right? Learning that leads to pride and arrogance, it leads to uh, mistreatment of people, looking down upon them, right? Having this type of attitude toward them, then we're not being taught the way that we ought to be taught. This is not the way we are to learn Christ Jesus, This is, again, not to uh, demean or to put down the pursuit of knowledge. Pursuing knowledge and understanding of Christ and his doctrines is good and it's right. This should be a part of our Christian life, but it has to be with the right intention, with the right goal, so that we would grow in faith and so that we would grow in our love for one another. If we are growing in knowledge, but that knowledge is not leading us to have a greater love for the saints, then we're not learning correctly, right? This is carnal, worldly knowledge. It is a knowledge that will puff us up, but it's not going to build up. It's not going to build anyone up. Instead, it's going to lead to uh, arrogance and to looking down upon others. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. It says, Now concerning things, sacrifice to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. Here, their knowledge of truth, right? And is it true, is it good knowledge to know that there's no idols and there's only one God. There's only one God. That's good knowledge. That's the kind of knowledge that we need to have. But if that knowledge is leading me to have no care or concern uh, to my weaker brother, then that knowledge is not edifying. It's not good. It's not building him up, but I'm destroying the one for whom Christ died. And we should not use that knowledge to destroy others. That knowledge must be combined with love, right? And that knowledge should increase our faith. And as it increases our faith, it should increase our love and care and concern for the brethren, for the saints. And it ought to manifest itself in that way. Point number three, believers are knit together in love, in love. Love is the bond of unity that binds together the stones that are joined up and make the temple of the Lord, right? The church is the temple of the Lord. We are the temple, the building of the Lord. 
And each member of the church is a living stone. A living stone. And what is it that binds all of us together? It is the bond of unity, which is the bond of love that is produced within us by the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit binds us together with the bond of love or the bond of unity so that we are all joined together and fit together into the temple of the Lord. And if there is no bond of unity and love, but instead there's jealousy and envy and strife and dissensions among us, are we going to be fit together? Are we going to be edifying one another so that we become the maturity of the body of Christ? No, there's going to be factions, there's going to be dissensions, there's going to be all sorts of worldliness and immorality among us if that is the case. So love is essential for the binding together of the church of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Speaking the truth in love builds up the body of Christ. And the body is built up in what? In love. It is our love for one another that binds us together in Christ. It is our love that is the cement that holds the stones together so that the body is fit together in the proper way. This bond of unity must be our love. Otherwise, if that love is not there, the church is just a heap of dead stones, right? Even if they have proper order, even if they meet, and even if what they do has a semblance of truth and goodness and what is right, if there is no love amongst the brethren, then what are we? Right? What is it? What good is it? Right? We're, we're absolutely worthless, and there's nothing that is good in it at all. It's just a heap of dead stones that will be cast off by the Lord. Number four, mutual love among the saints springs from our mutual interest in Christ. It is our interest in Christ, our unity with Christ, that brings us into such close relationship with one another, right? We are not uh, united to Christ independently. It is not like I have my own independent relationship with Christ and that he is Christ to me and to me alone. And then you have your Christ and he is Christ to you in that capacity and you alone. How many Christs are there? There is only one Christ. And anyone who is united to Christ is united to the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is only one head of the church, and that head is Christ. And when we are united to Christ, simultaneously, at the same time, who do we else do we become united with? To all of the others who are united to Christ. Every branch is connected to this trunk, to this vine. And as I am connected to that vine, and you are connected to that vine, then we are connected to one another. It is our mutual interest in Christ that puts us together in this relationship, right, in this harmony with one another. And this relationship is to be closer than any other relationship that we have on this earth, right? We are to be united and we are to prefer the body of Christ, the spiritual relationship that we have above every other relationship in this world. Because don't we have to love Christ above everyone else? And if we love Christ, then we will love the saints as well. And we must have their regard and our love for them 
must be greater than all others. Unity to Christ of one another in harmony with Christ unites us with each other, one head with one body. And this spiritual relationship to one another in Christ is a great incentive and motive to love. This is how we need to view each other. That these people, you people who I am here with, that each one of you spiritually, invisibly, is united to the same Christ that I am united to. And if I love Christ, how can I not love you? When I see what Christ has done for me, he has forgiven me of my sins. He has pardoned me freely by his grace. He has delivered me from hell for all eternity. Okay, that's what he's done for me. How can that not cause me to love him? And if you're united to him as well, and he's done the same thing for you, then how can I not love you at the same time? It's impossible that this would be the case. It is this love of Christ that causes us to love one another. And when I see my fellow believer, and as we were speaking of this morning, the goal of our salvation is that each of us would be conformed to whose image? To the image of Christ. And will that image of Christ be seen in the saints in this life? It's going to be seen. Now, it's not perfect, but it will be seen in each and every true believer's life now in this life. Well, when I see you, I should see Christ. And when I see Christ, I should love him. I should love him. I should love the image of Christ in my fellow brothers in Christ. And if that's not happening, then it proves that I don't have the love of Christ within me. And if I don't love Christ, it shows that I've not had my sins forgiven. This is why the apostles are so clear that if you don't love the brethren, you have no part in God. You have no part in the forgiveness of sins. How can you have your sins forgiven by God? How can God show this great act of love to you and that love given to you not produce within you love for God and love for his children? It is impossible that that would be the case. We should love the image of Christ in one another when we see each other and see each other as we are in Christ, right? In Christ. Now, our problem is we have a tendency to see each other as the flesh still has uh, its presence in us as well, right? We know that the flesh is still there too. We still have indwelling sin. We're typically such negative, pessimistic people that whenever we look at our fellow brothers in Christ, all we want to fixate on is what? The negative, right? That which is evil, that which is of the flesh. And then we ignore what is good, what is of the Spirit. But what should we be fixated on? We should be fixated on the grace of God. Isn't that what's happening in Hebrews chapter 6 when he calls them beloved? He's not fixated on their sin, though he addressed their sin, and that's good. But in terms of his opinion of them, his perspective of them, he is convinced that they are children of God, and he's treating them as such because of the evidence of the grace of God within them, right? It is not that he's overlooking their sin, but he's not letting the sin and the remnants of the flesh so dominate his view of them that it deprives him of loving them and showing affection and kindness toward the body of Christ. Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. It says, While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside, seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, 
Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Can we love Christ while at the same time hating his brother, his sister, and his mother? That's an impossibility. Can you love me and hate my wife and my children? No, it doesn't make any sense. To love me is to love my wife and to love my children as well. And to love Christ is to love his children, his brothers, those who belong to Christ. And this is the way that we should be. 1 John chapter 5, in verse 1. First John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the children born of him. Their belief that Jesus is the Christ and love of God and love of the children born of God, all of these things are being spoken of simultaneously, right? That all of these will exist within the true believer. It's impossible that he has part of this without the other. All of those come as a package deal. Love of Christ Believing that he is the son, the, the Christ, loving the Father, and loving the children that are born of the Father, born of the will of God. So this is an essential component of the Christian life, right? And we must see each other as we are in Christ, right? That's the key. As we are in Christ, as we are in God. And what defines us in terms of our relationship to God? We are children of God. We are the children of God. And when we look at each other, we must look at each other in that capacity. We are God's children, all of us. If we are true believers, and all of us are confessing that, and all of us are seeking to live according to that right now, therefore we have this obligation to one another to love each other, to love each other even as we love our Father in heaven. Point number five. Love will, in the first place, act out by value, esteem, and delight in God's saints. There must be within us an affection, a love, a delight, a care, a concern for the children of God. Right? Now, we will deal with outward manifestations. Right? Love can't just be some inward desire that doesn't manifest itself outwardly. But the outward acts of love must come from these inner desires, this inner love that starts in the heart. Love begins in the heart, and then it manifests itself outwardly in this outward world, in the things that we do. But in the first place, love must begin within our heart. So we must have true love within us, which is seen in valuing each other as children of God, esteeming each other, as children of God, looking to each other as greater than myself, preferring you above myself, cherishing you, delighting in you, right? We ought to delight in one another, right? We should have this within us. And this is common amongst the children of God. Psalm 16. And again, there are many things that are going to seek to keep us from doing this. We have to fight against it all the time. 
And when the desire is not there, or this inner component, then we still have to do what's right outwardly, and then pray that God would give to us those desires, and that love, and that affection. Because when there is the affection in the heart, it makes the outward manifestations much more joyful and much better, right, than just doing it because it's our responsibility. Psalm 16.3, As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. My delight, he says, are in the saints of the earth. He has a true desire to be with them, to see them. When he does, he's rejoicing in them, right? He loves them in this way, in this type of love and affection. It should be among us, right? We ought to really, uh, you know, enjoy being around each other, right? And delight and have this kind of care and concern and affection for one another. And if it begins to grow cold, Pray that God would renew this love within us. Just as the Ephesian church in Ephesus uh, in Revelation chapter 2, their love for Christ had grown cold. Our love for Christ can grow cold. And if our love for Christ grows cold, who else will our love for grow cold? For all the brethren as well. So we, this is, again, part of the flesh. and We have to fight against it. That our love for one another wouldn't be cold, but it would burn hot that we would have true zeal and fervor and intensity in our love for one another that is seen in the affections that we have. 1 John 3, 16. We know love by this. He laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for one another as well. This is the way we are to love to value, to esteem, to cherish, to delight in one another to such a degree that we are willing to lay down our lives for one another. And here, lay down life means what? What did Jesus do for us? He literally laid down his life. He died for us, right? He laid down his life for his friends. Greater love than no man has than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. Now, the occasion to do that is very rare. It's very uncommon that in the providence of God, he actually calls his children to die and to actually lay down their life for one another. However, this type of love still needs to be within us. The willingness and the desire to do so if the occasion requires it. The standard is still there, though the occasion may never be presented to us. We still are to love each other in this capacity. With this type of intensity, this is the love that we ought to have among the saints. Then number six, love will act by all the means, ways, and duties to promote the eternal, spiritual, and temporal good of others. Not only is love a desire in the heart, an affection that is within us, a spiritual affection that comes from the Spirit of Christ, but it also will act in this present world in whatever is good and necessary for the eternal, spiritual, and temporal benefit of our fellow brother in Christ. Whatever love requires me to do in this present life for your benefit, it will do. So if my brother is in need of food, what will the love of Christ compel me to do? To feed him, to meet this physical need. But if my brother is in need of encouragement, what will the love of Christ compel me to do? 
This is a spiritual need. It will compel me to come and to minister to his spiritual need and to do and fulfill all of the duties of love, whether temporal or whether spiritual, in whatever capacity is necessary. This is what love will do among us. 1 John chapter 3. You could read the whole book of 1 John, but we're not going to, though we could. We're going to read 1 John chapter 3. The, the whole book is dealing with this over and over and over again. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil." No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know uh, by this that we are of the truth, and will assure our hearts before him. And whatever our hearts condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. There, all of these things are, they're placed side by side together believing in the Son, keeping His commandments, God's love abiding in us. And included in that is what? Love for the brethren. That we love the brethren. This is such an essential part of the Christian life. This fruit, if it is not present within us, it is proof that we are dead. That we are dead. He, even, he says such. We know that we have passed out of death into light because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. This assures us and gives us confidence that we are children of God because we love the brethren. 
And this is why the apostle in Hebrews chapter 6 has such confidence in their salvation. This love has been manifested in them. He has seen it in the fact that they are ministering and continue to minister to the saints. And he knows that that love cannot be produced by the will of man, but it must come from the Spirit of Christ. And that same love in them must be found in us as well. This love will be found in all generations of Christians, whether we live in the first century, whether we live in the current century in which we are, whether we live in the Middle East or whether we live in modern-day America. It does not matter. Everyone who names the name of the Lord, he must have this true of him. He must love the brethren. And this is the evidence that we belong to Christ that we are his disciples, it is our love for one another. As it says in John 13, verse 34. John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. All men, he says, will know. The way that they're going to know that we are disciples of Christ is going to be the love that we have for one another. We must pursue this. We must fight for this, right? We must know that it's not going to be easy for this to come about, that Satan is going to tempt us because he doesn't want us to have confidence. He wants us to have our doubts and our fears. He wants us to have no stability. And if it is our love that proves that we're disciples of Christ, then he's going to seek to undermine this, and whenever there is an undermining of love in the body of Christ, it makes way for dissension, for disunity, for factions, for biting, for devouring, for the consuming of one another. And this is the seed that he wants to sow among us, and it's one that we must fight against at all costs. We remember in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, there it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the love that we have to have amongst one another. The world, the flesh, the devil will always be opposed to this love. It will not come easily for us. It will not come carelessly for us. We must labor for it. We must strive for it. We must be diligent to love one another in this way and to overcome the many obstacles to our love for each other. So let us then walk in this way and let us have faith working through love. Faith working through love within the body of Christ so as to prove ourselves to be children of God. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we, Lord, do pray that the love you have given to us 
Lord, that we would know more and more and more of it. Lord, that we would come to a depth of understanding of the love of God. Lord, in all that you have done to forgive us of our sins. And Father, as we more fully understand the depth of your love for us, we pray that it would give to us a greater depth of love for one another. Lord, we pray that as we grow in our faith, Lord, we would grow in our love, seeing that these two are united together. Lord, impossible is it for a man to have great faith and yet be lacking in love. So, Father, we pray that you increase our faith, and we pray that you increase our love for one another. Lord, guard us, protect us, preserve us, Lord, from anything that would hinder us from loving our brothers. Lord, whether that be our our natural disposition, Lord, whether that be a temptation, Lord, some proclivity of the flesh, whether that be some outside influence upon us, tempting us, Lord, whatever it is that would hinder and keep us from fulfilling our duties to one another, Lord, to love each other, Lord, we pray that you would purge it from us. Lord, we are so prone to easily take offense, to be self-centered, Lord, to think only of our own interest, Lord, to want to, to fight and to bite and devour one another. Lord, it wells up within us. So natural is it, Lord, to the flesh and, and Lord, to the way that we have behaved. And yet, Lord, we see that you are calling us to a new life. They're to a a new way of living, and we pray that, Lord, just as when we lived in the flesh, Lord, we were led by various impulses, we pray now that in the Spirit we would be led by new impulses, and that, Lord, it would become second nature for us, Lord, to deny ourselves and to put others above ourselves and to overlook an offense and to be kind and compassionate and tenderhearted and patient with one another. Lord, just as you are kind to us, Lord, and compassionate. And, Lord, you deal with us with such gentleness. So we pray that we also would do the same here in the body of Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you help us to fulfill our obligations and duties to one another. Lord, to love each other as Christ has loved us. And, Lord, to do whatever is necessary to to the building up and the fulfillment of whatever temporal or spiritual need arises in our brother. Lord, bind us together in this, in the unity of love, and Lord, keep and preserve us. Lord, be with us as we go from here today. Lord, give us safety as we travel home. Lord, be with us this week. Help us to walk with you in uprightness and truth. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.